Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. If you will take out Acts chapter 4, this is following a great miracle. Peter and John were on their way to the temple. Uh, A lame man was beside them. Uh, They, in the long run, prayed for him. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Raised, Raised him up by the hand. The man hadn't walked in 40 years, was born lame. Apparently his feet wouldn't, had no strength in them. He went walking and leaping and praising God. And so we have a healing, and it it just spread through the whole temple. This was the time of the evening sacrifice. Thousands of people gathered, uh, apparently didn't go to the the evening sacrifice, came on down to the south end of of uh, of the temple area and listened to Peter, and Peter preached a sermon. Somewhere probably between 1,000 to 2,000 people uh, said yes to Jesus. And, and in the, in the, at the very end of this thing, as Peter has just really given his summation of, of, of what they needed to do, uh, they were arrested. Temple officials, uh, the priests, and uh, some Levites, uh, who are the temple police, showed up, arrested them, and they have been in jail overnight. In the morning... They, they, both Peter and John, and this fellow who got healed, and he's in trouble too, all three of them get brought in, and they're brought in in what is really Israel's supreme court. This is the highest court in the land. So they're in a, they're in a special room. It's a big semicircle of seats. Uh, you, have, you have all, you have the top elders, you've got the Sanhedrin, the high priest, his, his relatives. Uh, everybody's there. This is a very grim kind of environment. Uh, and then Peter and John and this lame man are standing there in front of this seated semicircle of of elders and religious dignitaries. Pretty intimidating, huh? Uh, This group can have them beaten. This group can have them jailed. This group can have them killed if they really want to set their mind to it. And they actually will do two out of three over, over the course of the weeks. So this is a dangerous moment. And yet I want you to see how Peter reacts. I want you to see what happens to Peter in this moment because there's, there's a lesson for all of us in this. Let's have a look. Start at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power... Or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you say filled with the Holy Spirit? Spirit. Yeah. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. And then they have to go through, what are we going to do with this? Jesus warned us that following him would get us in trouble. And he didn't promise that he would always get us out. But he did promise that he would be with us in that moment and would speak through us. He said when we stand before our accusers, he would empower us and make us witnesses for him. And this is exactly what we see happening here with Peter and John. Basically, they're in trouble, standing in front of Israel's highest court for doing what Jesus did. When we become believers and begin to live out our faith to the point that we make a difference in other people's lives. Did you notice that? You can be a Christian who doesn't make a difference in anyone else's life and the devil will leave you alone. I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but if you want to know the threshold, just don't make any difference. Don't lead anybody to Christ. Don't pray for anybody, have them get healed. Don't bring the love of God or, or care into a situation and you will be left alone. Just doesn't, you're not a problem. Get somebody saved. Start praying for the sick. Start making a difference. Start, start serving the, the poor and letting the love of God come through you and, and, and you're in trouble and it will come to you. So it's just, it's just the way it is. When we believe, become believers and begin to live out our faith to such a point that we make a difference in other people's lives, we become part of a great spiritual war. Those who are looking for the true God like us, but those who aren't, don't. I mean, they really don't. And some particularly, those with a lot to lose can get very hostile. And it's not that they don't understand what we're saying or have doubt that what's happening is real. It's because we become a threat to their way of life. They like what they have and they're not going to let anyone, even God, take it away without a fight. And that's where you come in. You're the one who's bringing God into their world. You're the one disturbing their peace of mind. So you're the one who must be silenced. The promise we're seeing here today is that God won't let that happen. When you need him, he will fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the words to speak. Now, I want you to see the promise that Jesus made to us. And we'll start there because you're actually watching in Acts here a promise being fulfilled. So let's look at the promise. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is instructing his disciples, telling them he's about to, he's, he's named the 12, he's about to send them out. And here's, here's what he says, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. That's one of those promises you generally don't find in the promise box. You know, you, you ever seen those things? 
They got all the promises and people say, oh Lord, what's your promise for me today? You know, you reach in. Imagine pulling that one out. <laughs> Behold, I, I, I send you out as, as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> oh Lord, let's try another one. What we really want is Chinese fortune cookies, you know. Yeah, it's, but here's, it's a promise to you, hallelujah. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour, say in that hour, hour. what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in, uh, speaks in you. Uh, I'll just add this. Brother will betray brother to death, father his child, and children will, will, will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Imagine that. Now, I'm going to just take you through those verses a little bit. What did Jesus just say? Verse 16, he said that you and I are to be shrewd as serpents, and innocent as doves. He tells us to try to avoid trouble. We should be very careful not to create unnecessary crises. And we should live morally clean lives so people can't attack us for being hypocrites. When he says, be shrewd as a serpent, he's saying, don't go in and make trouble. I'm telling you, I'm sending you out, and you're the sheep, they're the wolves. They have teeth, you don't, okay? They are, you're dealing with a very dangerous situation. Trouble will come. Don't create any. Don't go out. Don't be stupid. Don't go out and make, don't, don't be uh, foolish. Don't be shrewd. Be careful. It'll come to you. But make sure you didn't create it by simply blundering. And then he says, be as innocent as a dove. In other words, don't give them any moral issues to attack you on. Don't be immoral. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be dishonest. Don't be a liar. Those are softballs, man. You just give them a chance to to pick on you. They don't have to deal with the real issue, which is the God issue. They can attack you for being a hypocrite. Don't give them either one of those. Verse 18. People will often use various kinds of courts to silence us. You notice he says, they'll take you to court. It allows them to attack us without exposing their real motives. We might find ourselves in religious or secular courts. People will sue you, but you'll notice it generally is off off the subject. You see it right through the book of Acts. They haul Paul in in, in, in Ephesus, and and, and here here he's being being tried. And and they never say, it's because we don't like his God. They say, he's he's, uh, preaching another God against the law. Or they, they say, this is against the law. They don't come out and say, we hate this God, and we were attacking him. So people use courts as a way of fighting. Verse, 18, uh, verse 19, 20. When we, when we are in a situation where we have to answer for our faith, we don't need to plan what we're going to say. We can be absolutely certain that God's spirit will be close to us and will give us the words to speak. Is that good? Is it, you, you heard him say it, didn't you? No question about it. He says, well, the, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say. 
It will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Peter's about to answer their questions, but before he does, Luke wants us to know that the Holy Spirit himself is the source of the words Peter will speak. He says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that term might confuse us if we mistakenly think of this filling with the Spirit as the same miracle that happened to him at Pentecost. In the upper room, he and those who were with him were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. At that moment, Peter received what Jesus called the promise of the Father. They had been told to wait in Jerusalem until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. During his ministry, Jesus repeatedly spoke about a special encounter with the Holy Spirit in which he would indwell each one of them. Would you say indwell? Yeah. yeah. That happened on Pentecost for Peter, empowering them for holiness and service. What is happening to Peter here in his moment of need is not another baptism, as if this indwelling of the Spirit had left him, but rather a fresh move of the Spirit to strengthen him for the task at hand. It would soon become apparent to all those who were listening to him that God was speaking through him, and undoubtedly it was apparent to Peter as well. Obviously, he felt God's closeness and discovered that he had courage rather than fear, even though he was standing before Israel's highest court. As he began to speak, an inspired flow of words came to his mind, which was far better than anything he might have planned to say. You could so easily freeze in that minute. Here you are, pulled in, standing in, this, in front of Boy, the, 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 the religious leaders on all of their robes and all of these things glaring at you, and you're standing there. You could so easily freeze, your mind blanks, you're terrified, you're frightened for your life. That didn't happen. So by describing Peter as filled with the Spirit, Luke is telling us that the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon him in that courtroom to strengthen him and give him the words to speak. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon men and women from time to time in order to enable them to perform a special feat or prophesy. But when he was preparing his disciples to face the persecution that lay ahead, Jesus assured them that they would always be given such help. Here we see Peter and John, who have been brought before rulers and authorities, having the Holy Spirit teach them in that very hour what to say. You see it? You're seeing the fulfillment of what Jesus promised us. Peter respectfully addresses the gathering as rulers and elders of the people. He says if he and John were being accused of doing a good deed for an infirm man, they were guilty. And if they were being questioned to find out the source of power that healed the man, they would gladly announce to them as well as the entire nation. The miracle had been performed in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, to which he added for the sake of emphasis, in this name, this man stands before you whole. By focusing on Jesus' name, Peter directs everyone's attention to the real source of the miracle. Yes, Peter had commanded the man to be healed, and he'd grabbed him by the hand to raise him up, but he and John were merely functioning as human representatives of Jesus. It was Jesus who had directed them to say what they said and do what they did. And it was he who had supplied the power that healed the man's feet and ankles. 
As we noted earlier, the title Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene was the most common way of identifying him. But Peter doesn't leave Jesus' identity to merely an earthly title. At this point, he turns the trial around, putting the religious leaders on trial. In case there was any doubt in their minds, the Jesus he was talking about was the one they had personally been responsible for crucifying and the one God had physically raised from the dead. Do you see what just happened? Instead of, instead of cowering in this situation, Peter says, so you want to know who did this? All right, I'll tell you who did this. It was Jesus of Nazareth. You remember the one you crucified. You remember the one that God raised from the dead and you, your, your guards came and told you about it. You remember he's the one, he's the, the seated Messiah. That's who it is and you crucified him. He's turned the table. I mean, all of a sudden, he's, he's, God through him is trying them. It is a courtroom, all right, but it's going the wrong direction, in their opinion. Then Peter announces God's verdict on this group of judges by quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22. Jesus had already quoted this same verse to warn some who were now sitting in that very room that they were fighting against God's Messiah. Peter not only quotes the verse, but adds explanation so no one can escape its true meaning. He says, he is the stone which was rejected, referring to Jesus, and then adds, by you, so they will know that they are the guilty builders. And finally, he says, Jesus is Israel's chief cornerstone, meaning he is their Messiah who will rule and judge the nation. What had begun as a formal inquiry to see if Peter and John had committed a religious crime had now turned into a spiritual trial with the apostles pronouncing God's verdict on the leaders of the nation for refusing to acknowledge their Messiah. Then Peter makes a bold announcement. He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He's not saying by this statement, that all who died prior to hearing the gospel, those who never heard Jesus' name so they could call upon it, were by that fact alone lost. He's telling Israel's leaders, that, and for that matter, the entire human race, that Jesus is God's promised Messiah, Savior. There will be no other. His death is the atoning sacrifice to which all of Israel's sacrificial system pointed. He is the resurrected king who ascended to the Father's right hand and who will come from heaven to, to judge the living and the dead. He's explaining that the Messiah for whom Israel was waiting had come and it was no longer possible to claim ignorance. They must make a decision. He was saying, the time of your ignorance is done. Choose. The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus and there'll be no other. Choose. The man's challenging them to decide. No one on this panel of judges expected a response like this, guaranteed. They assumed they would be questioning three frightened men who would be at a loss for words. So the apostles' boldness and eloquence amazed them. Yet at the same time, there was something vaguely familiar about this exchange. It reminded them of the numerous confrontations they'd had with Jesus during his ministry. They'd hoped that these frustrating dialogues in which their positions of authority had been disregarded and their attitudes embarrassingly exposed would have ended with his death. But here they were, once again, being confronted by men without formal religious training, 
who were not intimidated by them, and who spoke about the deepest sort of biblical matters with confidence and clarity. Not only did these men talk like Jesus, but they even performed a miracle like one of those he had done. And there was the miracle standing in front of them, a man they had passed on the temple steps for decades. It did appear that God had acted to confirm the message about Jesus. But because they refused to believe it, they could not think of anything to say in reply. Wouldn't it be fun to see, watch that, that, that man standing there? He's just glad to be standing. I mean, is this, this is the second day he can stand. And so you can imagine he's probably a little bit of, or. I'm standing, I'm standing. So see, he's standing there just thrilled that he can stand. And uh, Peter, Peter and, and John are anointed by the Spirit. They're, they're, not, being, they're not being rude. They're not, this, is, this is a true spiritual moment. The Spirit has come upon them in that moment, and the fear is gone, and the words are there. People, God will do that for you. He will do that for me. This is our promise. You know there are going to come these moments, don't you? You know that we're going to be in situations where we're being questioned, where we're put on trial, when, the, when we have to give an account of our faith. And this promise is ours. Let's look at what happened to Peter. In that moment, Peter spoke prophetically. In other words, he spoke as the Spirit gave him utterance. Only in this case, he didn't speak in tongues. He spoke in Hebrew or Aramaic. I don't know which. As he stood there, he felt strong and unafraid, even though this court could have had him beaten, jailed, or executed if they chose, his mind was clear, and he was able to perceive what was happening spiritually. The judges had asked him a question, and he was determined to answer it as clearly as he knew how. He fully understood why he had been arrested, and he knew this wasn't about him. As he stood there, God reminded him of how Jesus had answered some of this, group of, this same group of people when they had accused him. He remembered the verse of scripture Jesus used to show them that it had been prophesied that they would reject him. And he could feel God's love for them and knew he must love them enough to put his own life on the line. Let me just emphasize that for a second. You've got to love them. You, you can't, if you're in anger, if it's a self-righteous thing where you're going to tell them off, it smells. It smells wrong. For Peter to do what he did, he's putting his life on the line. It's what's happening right now. He's putting his life on the line. And the, I, can, I can guarantee, when the Holy Spirit's anointing is there, here's how you can tell. You feel the love of God. If what you feel is, is just righteous anger, I mean, there, there's a righteous anger, I guess, but even that is born of love. It's like a parent who's worried about your child in the street. There's, you're angry, all right, but you're angry because you love that child. So there, it will always be, when it's the Holy Spirit, you'll always feel the love of God. And if you don't, it's not. It's an important checkpoint. It's an important checkpoint. So what's motivating these men? The love of God is. He had to warn them that they couldn't pretend to be ignorant about Jesus any longer. The time had come for them to decide. They would repent and acknowledge him as their savior or not. And then he just started talking. And it only took him 90 words in the Greek to say everything he was told to say. And then he stopped and trusted God to take his words and to use them 
to reach out to these troubled men. There are moments when each of us will be put on trial. It probably won't be a formal courtroom, but each of us will face situations where we have to bear witness to our faith. People will ask questions, sometimes hard questions or dangerous questions that put us on the spot. As we're talking, others may stop to listen and we know that what we say will be broadcast quickly. This kind of encounter can be very frightening. And we may even wonder how we got ourselves into this, but here we are, and they're waiting for us to say something. This could take place at family gatherings, in a classroom with a coworker, on a hike, in a fishing boat, in a job interview, or even in a courtroom. Sooner or later, when they figure out what you are, when someone they know gets saved or healed or baptized in the Holy Spirit, the questions will come. And there may be anger and harsh accusations behind those questions. But you're the one they're asking, so what do you do? You do exactly what Peter did. Say that. You, it's time for a new bracelet. What would Peter do? Ah. Right there. Just, you really, you, you think about it. Let me give you an illustration. I have a whole raft of them. I'm just sort of deciding which one I pick. Um, have you had these moments? You're suddenly on the spot. You don't know how you got there. The questions are coming. The pressure's there. People are listening. I, I can think of a classic. I, I was, it was my last week in, in my senior year in college. Uh, we were just doing final examinations, packing boxes, getting ready to leave. Uh, I had a final the next day. I'm studying at my desk. And my roommate's packing away, and I think there may have been somebody else in the room, and a and, uh, knock comes on the door. And this one fellow comes in. I had prayed for this guy's soul. I, I had been, he was, he was a hard-bitten fellow, not a, not a Christian, uh, oh, he had a religious background, but it was worthless as far as I could see. Uh, and I think he would have said so too. Uh, and he came in, and he came right up to my desk, and he said, I have a project. He says, my philosophy professor, I have to do an interview. I have to interview someone for my philosophy class. Can I interview you? And I looked at my, I said, uh, how long is this going to take? And he said, oh, it's not long. I just need to ask you, I just need to ask you one question. And, and it just, you just answer. I just need to interview. Can you, can you do that? I said, all right, all right. He says, then he said, just one moment. I thought, what do you mean, just one moment? And out he went. And he came back. And he was carrying a tape recorder. Now, young people, a tape recorder was a machine <laughs> that had these little reels and a ribbon light material that would go it would it would go like this you know and and as it ran was a microphone it would record sound on it and uh, so he puts this thing down on the desk he puts the mic right in front of me pulls a chair up by now of course everybody the other guys in the room are and he says do you believe in God and if so why Now, I got to tell you, on one hand, I thought, this is amazing. 
I mean, I prayed for this fellow and talk about an open door. But then I also thought, who's on the other end of this microphone? And here's the question that went through my mind. Do I tell him the truth? Or, you know, what's the tendency? I believe in God because, I mean, look at the creation. Who made this? There must be, you know, you can go into this philosophical junk, you know. Uh, and and shows what I think of that. Uh, but I, I can go into that kind of thing. Or do I tell him the truth, which in my case is pretty icky. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's a wild story. You've heard it many times. And so I sat there and I thought, Lord, I guess this is an open door. And I did care for him. I was a little worried about the philosophy professor and the whole thing on the other side, what this would happen. But I thought, I care for him, so here we go. I said, I guess I'll just tell you the truth. And I let fly. I mean, you know the whole story, the power of the Holy Spirit coming on me at 12 years of age and my, my speaking in tongues and the shivering in bed and, and the whole thing. Now, as I look across the desk, here's what I see. You had to not look. Just stunned. And, and so I just, I thought, you asked. And I just, boo, let it fly. That fellow, he was, he was actually, I'd studied with him quite a bit. He and I were both pre-medicine. He's now an orthopedic surgeon. Um, but he, he um, that summer, he got a job in a paint factory across the street from the apartment complex where Mary and I were living because I was going to a seminary in St. Paul. And um, he would come over and visit me around lunchtime. And uh, I only make one thing at that time, and I now make two. Um, <laughs> but one of them was the same. It was, I just made him cheese sandwiches and whatever else. I don't remember. Um, and he would end up coming over around lunchtime, and, and we'd talk. And as I talked to him about the Lord, he was drawing close. He, you know, he, boy, he sure heard my story. And rather than running away, he, he, he was very cautious and afraid, but he was still drawn. You could see the Lord was drawing him. And I would share it with him. I remember one time standing, uh, I went out with him to his car, and uh, I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm saying, look, John, I, you're, you're just about ready to receive. Why don't, why don't we just pray right now? And he, he had the handle of the, of, the, of, the, of the windshield, of the window, I mean, and he went, no! You know, I went, no. I'm serious. No. Okay. Okay. Well, one day he finally did, and we sat at we had just a little we had a little card table, little round green card table, and and he's sitting there eating his cheese sandwich, and I'm eating mine, and and uh, and, and finally I said, "Would you like to pray?" And, All right. And I'm going to tell you, I have never in my life watched a man where physiologically you could see him born again. Uh, he, sit, he, stood, he was there and he prayed and it just, he went like this. <gasps> and you could literally see him change. It's dramatic. It's been a lot of years. Um, he hasn't particularly walked close to the Lord. He's never denied the Lord. But last, um, was it last summer? Is that before? Um, no, it was last June. Mary and I went to our our college reunion, and um, uh, he heard I was coming, and uh, so he came down in his convertible sports car, <laughs> very nice vehicle, and uh, and 
came because he, he wanted to talk, and, and, and he was very warm, very warm to me. It's like nothing had changed. It was interesting. And then finally, we went out and sat in his convertible sports car <laughs> and just talked. And I just talked to him like I used to talk to him. I think he's listening to the Life Lessons or the podcast now. Who knows? He'll hear this. Uh, God will put you in spots which are, you have to make decisions. What am I going to do? And I could have tried at that moment to open my mouth and just be eloquent. And I, instead, I let the Holy Spirit speak. You see it? I let the Holy Spirit speak. I just told the truth. It came right out of my heart. And it went right into his. And we got him. You're going to be in these spots. How many you already know? I've been in these spots, man. Did he show up for you? This is your promise. And it should make us not cocky, but bold. We should never be afraid. Nor should we feel like I got to go back in and I, I, I can't answer your questions. I don't know all the Bible. Neither do I. Who cares? That's not the point. Doing what Peter did. Peter had a night in jail to prepare himself, and you might not have that same luxury. <laughs> yeah, he got, to, he got to get ready. You may barely have time to shoot up a quick prayer in the back of your mind. But before you open your mouth, remember Peter and, what Je- and, the, and that Jesus made the same promise to you. And then listen to your heart, not your head. Number one, don't rehearse what you're going to say. Refresh your spirit by turning your thoughts to the Lord. We'll find where the fear comes as you keep running through your mind what you're supposed to say. What am I going to say? And how am I going to answer this? And you get all muddled. I, I do that. I do that. Uh, I mean, this is true anytime you have to speak prophetically, because that's really what we're talking about. Anytime you're, you're, you're off your notes, you're having to speak from the heart. There's a fear to it. There's a, there's a what am I going to say? Will I have anything to say? Uh, the other couple of weeks ago, I had to go down and, and we, I spoke in um, Southern California at the Southwest District uh, Pastors Gathering. And I don't know why. I mean, I speak all the time. But there's times when the Lord allows me to really prepare and know what I'm going to say. And there's other times he doesn't. And I, I, he, I know he's with me, but he will not give me what I'm supposed to say. Those things frighten me. And this one got me. I, I don't know why. I, I slept three hours that night. Uh, and I, I flew down on a, on a, on a, a Friday morning. And then, and then I was, it was like six hours. And then I, and then I flew home the next, the next day. And I, was, I, was, I just was suffered. I was, I was miserable. And there I was. And I had all these piles of notes. Of course, I overprepare. I just have tons of junk, you know. And then I had about 100 pastors. And... Uh, I open my mouth, and off we go. I hate that. <laughs> now, it, it, was, it was wonderful. The Lord showed up, man. But it was hard on me. Can you relate to this? There is, this is prophetic speech. This is prophetically brought things. The Lord, and it's part of your life as much as it is mine. Every spirit-filled believer, every one of us, this is part of our life. When we're called to speak prophetically, the Lord says, don't, you don't plan ahead. Don't go in your mind. It's okay, you can, you can sort of study or do whatever you need to do in a certain sense, but that isn't going to be your text. You have to simply open up 
and let me bring what I'll bring. And he will, and he will. Address the fear that wants to come and treat it like any other temptation. Refuse to give it place. Take every thought captive. Would you say that? Take every thought captive. That's how you do it. Don't listen to it. Rebuke it and look at Jesus. Some adrenaline may be needed to focus your thoughts, so don't worry about your pounding heart or sweaty palms. That's not necessarily fear. That's just the body's saying, I don't, uh, you, you may believe, but I don't. All right. <laughs> Remind yourself of your promise. What do you have a right to expect God to do? What do you have a right to expect God to do? You have a right to expect the Holy Spirit to, you know, to keep fear from you, to give you strength in the moment. You have a right to expect the words to flow, that God will give you what to say in that moment. Do you or don't you? Yes. You do have a right, don't you? Please remember this. And what does he have a right to expect you to do? Show up, suit up, not run and come up with an excuse. <laughs> Monitor your heart. Do you love them? Don't try to make something happen or impress them with your brilliance or win the argument. God wants to call them to himself through you. Peter confronted them. Peter used a scripture, but Peter, Peter didn't sit there and argue endlessly about why Jesus was the Messiah. He simply said, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you may be saved. Choose. He, and the spirit was there. See, when God shows up, when he's in the room, when they sense him, real decisions for the Lord are not made in the intellect, ever. You, you can, you, I, I understand that there can be intellectual problems that hang people up and they need to be addressed. But you will not reason or argue people into God because the bottom line is a far deeper thing. Intuitively, they know he's there. In him we live and move and have our being, where it's like fish swimming in water. You know God's there. If somebody pushes you off a bridge, you scream, oh God, all the way down. Once the nonsense is aside, once we're not playing games anymore, oh God! You see this tremendous amount of games playing going on in the human race. We just, we are so dishonest. We are just so dishonest. So bottom line, it really isn't, is there a God? It's issues. It's issues. And so the Lord very often will not play with that. He won't, even, he won't even mess with your mind. He'll go right to the heart. And he'll call the heart. And he'll call it not with an angry thing. He'll call it with his love. Now Peter's quite confrontational. But I guarantee you there was the love of God there. There was the love of the Lord reaching out to this, this man's heart. Can I tell you, I, I, this just comes to mind here, I'll, I will. <laughs> How can you say no? I, uh, you, we can't stop him. Uh, who was sitting there? It said Annas, that's the old man. That's the real high priest. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who was the high priest technically when Jesus was uh, crucified. And then it says John and Alexander. And I said, no one knows really who those are. Well, I just came across something, and this was F.F. F. Bruce, so he's no small, no small thing, and it's in a footnote. John is very likely also a, named Jonathan, 
And that indeed is one of, one of Annas' sons. And he was high priest from 37 to 41 AD. Now here's the thing that just, I thought, what? He had a Greek nickname. Do you know what it was? Not Barnabas. That's a good guess, though. That's a really good guess. Theophilus. Any one of you who knows, the, Luke writes both his gospel and this to, oh, most excellent Theophilus. Now, F.F. Bruce, because other, other scholars had pointed it out, and he said, oh, it couldn't be. He doesn't say why. He just, he just don't go there. It, so you don't know. But, it, I mean, it's pretty bizarre. Just think of the possibility. Because actually, Luke will say in another chapter, he said, many priests, and I think Barnabas was one of them. He was a Levitical priest. Many priests believed. So at least here is a man sitting there who they did call Theophilus. Listening to Peter. And by the way, I just, I checked it out. Luke in his gospel never mentions Caiaphas or Annas. He does not take them on and criticize them by name. Why is that? The only one. The other ones do. Maybe because he wrote to his son. Anyway. You heard it here first. And then, and, and. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, that's, Anyway. That crazy church where they think Barnabas wrote Hebrews and Theophilus was the one. Anyway, tell the truth, number five. If you can't answer the question, say you don't know. But here's what you do know. Because really it isn't about the intellect. Six, start with what you have. It may be a simple statement or just a few words. And as you begin to speak, the rest of the words will come in a flow. And you will hear yourself be more eloquent and precise than you would normally speak. When you're done, you think, was that me? And it really wasn't entirely you at all. Yes, you were the participant, but it wasn't just you. Start with the words you had. At the men's retreat this year on Sunday, we had, it, it was really quite a remarkable day from my perspective. It had really started a couple weeks earlier at the prayer meeting in that, in that room over there on a, on a Thursday night. Or Wednesday night. Um, and we had uh, been praying for the men's retreat. And as we did, I even said to the group, so they, those who were there heard me say it. I, 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 I said, thank you so much for praying. I said, the Lord has just given me something. Now, all he gave me that night, a couple of weeks before, was one statement. And then it felt, it felt very much like I'd eaten something. No joke. It's like I knew I had something in there, but it was not, I had no distinction on it. I didn't know what, but I could feel, it's like I had eaten something. And I had one statement. And I kept waiting during the men's retreat, when, when am I to do this? And, and Sunday morning then, I knew I was to, to do this. And I had nothing more than the one statement, really. And so I, I stood up and after whatever congeniality I went through, I said, I started with my one statement. It was this. 
the most important thing I've ever done in my life is to love my wife. And that's all I had to say. And then it flowed. They said, I did not look at my notes for 45 minutes. It's like the wheels spun, the tires burned, the thing went, and I just lit up. And it's simply that one thought flowed upon another. The next thing came. I knew what I was to say. I just felt, and I'm feeling it as I go. Do you, do you understand what that's like? This is prophetic speech, people. This is part of our birthright. This is yours and mine. God will prophetically speak through us. But there's a fear barrier there. And, and, and the, Peter is such a, an example to us today, saying when he puts you in those spots, he's promised to be with you. He will not fail you. Keep your mind focused on what God is giving you to say, not what they think of you. That's where the distraction will come. You start going, whoa. And just keep your mind focused on, on your content, on what, you're, what the Lord's giving you. Number eight, this is the most important of all. Stop when he stops. If you keep talking, your flesh will take over and you can ruin everything. Then trust that the Lord will use what you've said. Don't be uncomfortable with silence. In 90 words, Peter said all he had. And he had the grace to stop. You would so think he'd keep the air moving. He didn't. 90 words, stopped. Wow. How will I know when I've done it? It's simple. Like Peter, you'll remind them of Jesus. Remember what it says? Look back at chapter 4, verse 13. Let's just, just see it. It says, They observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having what? Just like Jesus. It, how will you know if you've done it? You'll remind them of Jesus. They won't come away from that encounter impressed with you, but impressed with him. Listen to Paul. But thanks be to God who manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death. To another, an aroma from life to life. And then he asked that fabulous question, and who is adequate for these things? To some people, you smell good. To others, you smell like something died. <laughs> to one person, they're hungry to know God, and they sense God in you, and it drawn. To another person, they are running away from God, and the closer you bring God, you make them very uncomfortable. They do not like it at all. Now, let's listen to Jesus once more only. This time, let's hear him in Mark's gospel. Why don't you read it out loud with me? When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And finally, let's listen to the Lord speak to us through the prophet Isaiah. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This 
is the heritage. And, by, and your heritage means your birthright as a believer. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication, the word means to show that someone is correct, to defend their honor or their rights, to avenge injustice. Their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And so is yours, and so is mine. Would you stand with me? I heard the other day, I don't know whether I believe the figure, I find it hard to believe. And you know they have these statistics, and a lot of them seem, just seem overly sour. I, I don't know. I, you only hope they're sour. But they, it, the one statistic I heard was something to the effect that 90% of, of Christians will never tell anyone about Jesus in their lifetime. I find that it's just tragic. It's, it's again, the evidence is why are, we, why are we reinvestigating the gospel? Why are we asking these questions about what, is, what does the Bible really say? In my opinion, because we are in terrible shape as a church. The condition of our country is, in my opinion, the direct reflection of the condition of the church. We have failed this nation, if you want to know. Our anger should not be directed at that. Our, our anger should be put, placed into repentance. I mean, it's time. Just, and it doesn't have to point the finger and say everybody else is doing badly. Let's just let, the only place thing you can affect is you. You and me, we can do, we can do the best we know. And that's what's called for in these days. We've got to get back to these things. No, if, if it's true, anywhere close to it's true, 90% never tell anyone about Jesus. That's tragic. Listen, you're going, if you allow him, in fact, I can tell you how to, you want to test what we just talked about today? Just pray. Jesus, give me a divine appointment today and watch what happens. I, I'm careful when I pray it. I am. I have to decide whether I really want one. You know, who's on the stool today? You know, is it him or me? You know, I, and I, I sometimes, I, the other day I was getting on a plane and I thought, I don't want a divine appointment. I'm tired. I just want to ride and read my book. Leave me alone. But I had to say to him, if you want me to have one, I will. And he left me alone. I had a quiet ride. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you, you this, this, this is a very divine process. If you just say, Lord God, give me a divine appointment, you watch it. Something will happen. Somebody will want to talk to you right there. Just, their doors will just open. Why? He's, he's longing for his people to share the Christ. He wants to open those doors. He wants to make these opportunities. And you'll get caught in those moments. And here's the promise. That in that moment, when suddenly there's a situation and you don't know what to say, you will be given in that very hour what you need to speak. Don't go to your head. Don't impress them. Don't try to be clever. Shut that junk down. Speak from your heart and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Answer the question. Be gentle. Just let, let God lead it and watch what happens. Watch the hearts that open up to us. So are we ready to ask the Lord for? Do we believe his promise? Yes. Are we willing to become available to him? Are we willing to let him use us? In other words, here we are, a handful of, of salt or of seed. 
Salt cast into the thing, into the world. Seed cast into the world. Are you willing to be living seed full of the Holy Spirit where God just says, now let me use you, let me guide you and share Christ. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this day and we hear the marvelous promise that our Lord has made us in no uncertain terms. And we watch our beloved apostles stand in that dangerous moment and be so bold, so eloquent, so loving. Lord God, we would be people like they were. We would be New Testament Christians. We would be full of the Spirit, full of the love of God, and we would allow you to take us in your great hand and cast us into those divine appointments that you have for us. Teach us, Lord, to be expectant. Teach us to be confident in you. And we receive it. We open ourselves to this today. Now, if you are really willing to be used of the Lord, and, and it, actually this needs to be said on a, I think, like a momentary basis and daily basis. Lord, I'm, I'm asking for a divine appointment. I'm open. So it kind of awakens you to the moment. So one prayer now isn't cover the rest of your life. But if you're willing to say, that's, that's, the, that's the sort of walk I will have, trusting the Lord to give me the words, I will be a mouthpiece for him. I will speak for him. Would you say, yes, Lord? Hear us, Holy Spirit. Hear us, Holy Spirit. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' powerful name. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.